Well, hello. Welcome back to Infinite Quest. Thanks for being here. So Kate is sick this week. We just got back from a convention. It is not COVID. She's tested several times, um, but she is not feeling super hot. So on very short notice, I texted a friend of mine, Tim Ahern from TikTok, who is Tim underscore Ahern underscore art on TikTok. Please go follow them. Um, I called them and asked if they wanted to come chat with me for the podcast this week. So what follows is my conversation with Tim Ahern. We talk about his diagnosis history with ADHD. We talk about how video games support persistence and learning. We talk about how failure is super important to the creative process and to bettering yourself as a person and whatnot. Um, so have a good time. I hope you really enjoy the conversation. It starts uh, sort of officially uh, at about seven minutes in if you want to skip the little intro where we... Bailey, can I get two fucking seconds, please? Um, can I get two seconds? I know a podcast is so far outside of your realm of understanding, but if for just a second... We can Dr. Doolittle this. That would be amazing. Thank you very much, Bailey. Anyways, enjoy uh, my conversation with Tim Ahern. Well, Mr. Tim Ahern, thank you so much for being here. Dude, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on on such short notice. I, for those of, for, for context, I probably said some of this in the intro, but uh, Katie got abruptly sick and couldn't do the podcast today. So I just had to call somebody who I like, who admittedly has ADHD and who I have the <laughs> contact for. And you... Checked all those boxes fantastically, especially the first one. You're great. I like you very much. Thank you. Well, my plan all along has been to take over Katie's space on TikTok. And uh, <laughs> so this is just the obvious next step to to take over the podcast. And and who knows what happens next? Yeah, but. naturally. Next is after that, the glasses. <laughs> after that's the dinosaur. Yep. Exactly. Um, then, I'm gonna, I'll start challenging you with some crafting uh, <laughs> things. Uh, I think the, the two masters is Grecian Shakespeare. I think that's going to be the, the longest time commitment to it, <laughs> but you'll get there. You'll get there. Um, with with hyperfocus, anything is possible. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, how you doing? What you been up to? Um, not, well, I mean, I, I, that's not true. I was about to say not too much, but, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been doing, uh, a lot of carpentry and woodworking, Fuck which yeah. is, um, you know, I feel, I talk about this sometimes on my TikTok, but I always feel really guilty when I start a new hobby or, or a new hyper focus. Cause originally my whole TikTok and my whole like reason for being was I was going to make an art. That's why my TikTok is Tim Ahern art. The whole idea was I was going to make a bunch of art content. And now, um, now I'm doing a gaming table and building a deck and thinking about making D and D com content. And, um, I just learned uh, Hero Forge, which cool. I didn't. Do you, have you ever heard of Hero Forge? That's, that's where you make like the the models for D anD D, the little the little guys, right? Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculously awesome. It's uh, if you've ha got any three D modeling experience. I mean, if if you don't have any, it's it's like the best thing ever because um, it's very much point and click. But then you can, if you do have three D modeling experience, you can basically build your D anD D character eighty percent of the way, export an STL, and then modify it further. And then 3D print it and make your. So I have a, a character right now who's a frog. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and so and, and like surprisingly, I was able to make an entire frog monk character who's got um, marvelous magical paints and um, looks very timid and and uh, confused. And yeah, yeah so, big old penis, too. 
Yeah, I mean, well, actually, you know, my frog is in, my frog is intersex because oh, really? we don't know. You know, he he could change his gender at any time, depending right. on the ratio to male to female. So. Exactly. As frogs are famous for doing. That's right. Life finds yeah. a way. So I am building a modular penis that I can attach to him at some point. Oh, are you, you actually know? doing that? No. <laughs> oh, damn. But dude, you just blew my fucking mind. That's amazing. That would be that would be the most ridiculous thing. Like like some kind of modular magnetic penis that I can attach to my frog depending on his gender. Um and 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 also, you know, in combat situations, which Oh yeah. Uh, which is when you use the miniatures. So yeah, of course. In my and Katie's D and D campaign, um, we have a talking horse named or a talking unicorn named Tony, whose main weapon is his own penis. That's he great. Just beats beats people. <laughs> in fact, I think me saying that out loud now is the first time we've ever actually canonized that. Like it's strongly implied, but yeah. we usually try to like cut it off. But no, it's, it's official. If any of you were wondering, Tony is uh, just beating people up with his big old massive bad dragon. You know, that's that's. <laughs> amazing he i i'm trying to think there's got to be some unicorn joke i mean he Probably. doesn't have like a, he's a duo corn like yeah, one horn on the, corn? two two horns i don't know i suppose he did do a whole bit in the beginning where like he used like unicorn healing magic on my character blumpkin but he he, he was like yeah but you gotta <laughs> you gotta suck on my horn first and so he did and it was very funny yeah <laughs> anyways well, to the, go ahead sorry well, to, to digress from <laughs> fantasy animal penises of varying sizes and um and danger levels uh i would love to ask you about your adhd history if that's all right with you yeah yeah um trying to think of where the best place to start is um your dad's balls yes so i used to live there <laughs> we went straight back to penises oh my I know, sorry. well i never i never i'm usually i usually do this podcast with with non-men so it's yeah. like, oh, I have another dude here. I can make stupid dude <laughs> dick jokes. Oh, God damn. I did not expect it to be this bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Katie leaves for like five minutes and just all dicks. Just wait. We're going to start to talk. We're going to start talking about NFTs or something like that pretty soon. Oh, yeah. Cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, totally. But if I'm not talking about my dad's balls, I'm talking about cryptocurrency. Am I right? <laughs> On your headstone, <laughs> Tim Ahern. If he wasn't talking about his dad's balls, talking about cryptocurrency. Yeah, my autobiography for sure. And let's just um, be clear: he never really talked about cryptocurrency. <laughs> like never, having like once or twice his whole life. So just, just saying. I'm here to talk about cryptocurrency and my dad's balls, and I'm tired of talking about cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> fucking jesus christ oh man so excuse me you're a very serious mental mental disorder that we we're we're discussing pardon me i'm sure your dad is lovely you're gonna edit all this out right oh yeah of course, of course. Uh, yeah it's just obviously. gonna be one long beep good 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 mm -hmm. um yeah so i was um I, I think like a lot of people you you see people with adhd growing up and living your life and my gut reaction was always basically like, well, I definitely don't have ADHD because I can sit down and like, I learned how to oil paint. You know, I taught myself how to oil paint and I would do it for 13, 14, 15 hours straight and stay up all night oil painting. So like, that's not ADHD because ADHD is when um, a little kid can't sit at a desk and pay attention. Like that was my only real definition. And that was... You know, I think that's like the popular narrative a lot of people have is ADHD is just 
children who are hyperactive mm-hmm. and then they take Ritalin or Adderall and and uh, are somehow lesser than afterwards, uh, which obviously is patently false. Mm-hmm. Um, or, um, you know, it, it basically never was part of my narrative that there are uh, there's a whole spectrum and different manifestations and different types of ADHD. Um, and so I just grew up feeling stupid <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, um, and had anxiety and depression and all the comorbidities that come with ADHD. Um, and, um, like, and it, it was, it was strange. Cause like, I didn't have like a ton of issues with school per se, I was able to basically, um, I think I was very motivated because I had so many hobbies and extracurricular activities. And I knew that if I, my grades had slipped too much, I would lose the ability to do those things. Mm. Uh, you know, my parents would, you know, my my parents not to villain, I make them sound like overly strict or anything, but you know, if my grades were to slip beyond a certain point, they, they really wanted me to go to college. They really had all this stuff. And so I had this fear that if I didn't um, excel to uh, a certain level, that I would lose my ability to be in three different bands and also be part of the drama club and also be part of chorus and also have D&D uh, every weekend because I had a and d group from sixth grade up through college. Um, same people. And it was really cool. Wow. Um, yeah, it was that was actually like a, a very formative experience in my life is um, uh, I ended up in a in a D and D group in sixth grade, and I and I like literally I'm planning to get together with them for dinner in August. Like like they live all over the place now, but but like they they're just like lifelong friends. Um, wow, that's frankly impressive. I have a really hard time doing stuff like that, keeping up with groups of people, or that's really impressive. Not to say that that's like categorically good. There's nothing necessarily <laughs> wrong with not doing that, but uh, yeah. either way, it's fascinating to me. Well, I mean, I mean, in every other part of my life, I've had that kind of object permanence issue where I just um, and, and, and again, like basically when I got diagnosed, I, I, I took a notebook and I wrote every single thing I didn't like about myself. And then I was like, this is all these. These are all ADHD comorbidities. <laughs> yeah. and, and a big one was like object permanence and and definitely as it was relates to people yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Like there there are times where I kind of look back and I'm like well, I literally just stopped talking to that person and um, and that probably was like really hurtful or I, I didn't end that relationship in a very clear way or in a uh, a positive way. And those are like the things that keep me up at night. Yeah. Uh, and I and I used to really blame on myself and not that I don't. Not to say that I'm absolved of blame or responsibility for how I handled interpersonal relationships, but it does. After I got through the idea that my entire personality was just a list of negative symptoms related to neurodivergence, I was kind of able, once I came to terms with it and went to therapy for a while, it actually gave me a great language to describe myself in a way that wasn't pejorative or explain myself, especially to my spouse. Um, one one of my favorite stories. So 
man, see, this is I, I you asked me a question. I don't even know. I have got like three different ways that I want to get to the end now. <laughs> Please. Um, basically, like. Um, the, the, am I talking too much, by the way? You are not. You are absolutely not talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast. You asked me a question. Now I'm just no, talking. Also, I just want to clarify: Have you ever been on a podcast, or do you have a podcast? I don't. I, I've been on like my friends had a podcast, but I don't know if they marketed it or were taking it very gotcha. seriously. But like, I, this is the first like like official podcast I've ever been on. So gotcha. thank you again for having oh, me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for being um, on. But uh, yeah, you you in the beginning you generally feel like you're talking too much, but you're like, wait a minute, that's. The point of this, that's what this is. So please, if anybody's listening right now, they're listening consensually because they want okay. to hear what you have to say. So Everybody please. listen to me right now. Um, okay, so yeah, basically the main, the main catalyst for me getting diagnosed was I'd been working at a company uh, for a while as a video editor. Oh, so you were diagnosed later. Yeah, oh what? yeah. So, so sorry, I was diagnosed uh, just like two years ago, actually. Mm. Uh, right, right during the presidential election, um, really, because I remember feeling super calm. I had just gotten medicated for, uh, I had gotten Adderall and I had gotten um, Lexapro, mm. and I remember sitting on the couch and everybody was kind of freaking out, and I just remember thinking, "Weird, I feel f- a lot better than I usually do, <laughs> yeah. and everything feel. I know everything is bad." And stressful, but I actually like my I'm usually if I if my normal level was like a 10, then I feel like I'm at a three right now. And and that created this whole debate of like, what am I? <laughs> like, like, am, am I a bunch of neurochemicals firing off and now I've altered them with substances permanently and I've changed who I am inherently? And and like, and I'm saying that while taking a sip of beer right now, which was, you know, before, <laughs> before I was medicated, I was drinking nine cups of coffee a day and then drinking a bunch of bourbon at night. So it's like at some point, it's like, why don't you have a doctor do that for you? And <laughs> why, don't you have, why don't you have somebody like help help control that safely? <laughs> Dial it in. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like the, the, that that ended that debate for me. Um but yeah, so basically I had been working as a video editor uh, and I was um, humble brag, very successful at it. Um, and then I got to a point in my career where I wasn't editing as much. I was managing a, a team and um, help talking to people about their career development and how they could progress further in a company and trying to do um, uh, you know, f- process improvements for our workflow and all, and all of these different things that weren't relate weren't creative were much more uh, organizational and much more um, st- st- strategic, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and that wasn't my favorite. It, you know, there was a lot of confrontation, a lot of scheduling, a lot of organization, a lot of meetings, and I was realizing that that wasn't kind of what I wanted. I wanted to be doing, I wanted to be drawing. I wanted to be painting. I wanted to be making videos. I wanted to be creative. And my wife at the same time was having the opposite experience of she, she was a part-time employee at a company and a stay at home mom. 
and she got this crazy opportunity where they were like, hey, like you could make this huge jump and get all these new responsibilities, but you'd have to be full time. And so she came to me and she's like, I, I've been a stay at home mom for five years. Um, you keep complaining about how your job is not quite what you want it to be. What if we switch? And oh. I had originally I had tried freelancing at the beginning of my career, but I that was the beginning of my career. And now I had all these industry contacts. So I was like, yeah, like. That's a great idea. So we made <laughs> I gave my notice at the company that I was working at. And then literally the next day, the economy crashed. <laughs> and then a day later, uh, I, I was taking a week off so my wife could could fly out on a business trip. And then there was a travel ban. And then and then I never got to go back to my office because the stay at home order happened. So it was kind of like in the end, I was like, why did I quit? my job to stay at home <laughs> when if I if I had done nothing, I would have ended up working from home. Um, but the what what was really the the moment of of real frustration or or clarity or whatever or agony was um we we made the switch and my wife started working full time and I was taking care of two toddlers and nobody could come and help me because it was quarantine. Mm. I couldn't take them anywhere. We couldn't go anywhere. And, um, and I, I, in my, I knew that I knew intellectually, I was like, this is what I've always wanted. Like I have the freedom to work whenever I want on whatever project I want I'm being financially supported. I'm in a loving relationship. I'm getting to spend a lot of time with my children who, I, you know, with a commute to Boston and at where I live, um, you know, I was spending hours and hours away from home and getting home when the kids were going to bed and never really getting a chance to see them. I was like, everything is great. This is kind of the idyllic situation. I can paint all day. I can be creative. I can do all this stuff. Why can't I get out of bed anymore? <laughs> why am i feeling so depressed i started disassociating um and having like um some severe uh panic attacks and it didn't help that there was a pandemic and we were trying to sell our house and we were having to <laughs> do all of these different things um like there was a lot of other and you know the presidential election like i said like there was all this stuff happening but i was like i i'm so ridiculously unhappy and what I started to realize was um, even though I, I didn't realize it, I had developed all these coping mechanisms for ADHD kind of as a as like a, a, a way of surviving. And they all depended on isolation. Hmm. So I would be on the train and I would get a bunch of writing done because I was always trying to write a novel or something. And then I would binge my podcast on my 45 minute walk from the train station. And then I would drink eight cups of coffee a day. Um, sometimes probably more. Um, and I would I would go for long walks. I would go for long full walks. I'd go for walks to get coffee. Um, and if I had a hyper focus, like I hyper focused on chess, I'd go, I'd read a chess book or I'd play chess online I'd eat my lunch by myself and kind of recharge. Um, I would, I'd had a little watercolor kit in my backpack. I'd go in somewhere and I would paint people and do people watching and sketching. And then when you're home with kids, in theory, you can create your whole routine however you want. 
Um, but they are always there. <laughs> like, they t- yeah, you- they, they tend to, to need a lot of help when they're yeah. toddlers. They can't just go yeah. to the grocery store. And it's not like, but I mean, there's like you, everybody knows that being a stay at home parent is hard and that managing a household is hard and keeping it clean and going grocery shopping and meal planning and doing laundry. All those things are hard, but there is a, like for the first three weeks, I was the happiest guy in the world. And then I sort of came to this realization of like, there's no break. There's no weekend. This will never end. I will never finish the laundry. I will never finish cleaning this kitchen. I will never even poop by myself again. Because <laughs> every time I try to go to the bathroom, there is someone kicking the door in, quite literally, and saying, like, somebody broke my, my thingamajigger. Or, like, I can't make this work, you know? And, and I love my kids. And, like, I'm so grateful that I get to be with them. But there was a, um, there was just this glass-shattering, like, Oh my God, I cannot manage never ending long-term projects and manage my own routine every day with no break and no reset time. And my wife was super supportive and she was like, take your time, figure this out. But after a few months, she was like, yo, what's up? (laughs) Are you doing okay? And so I went to therapy and, and I, I honestly, I think at some point I was on, I was figuring out and learning TikTok and looking at TikToks. And I, I probably saw content by Katie and by you and some other creators. And, and I did that thing that I think is typical of a lot of people with undiagnosed ADHD, where they say, everybody goes through this. Everybody Classic. loses. Everybody picks something up and then turns around and it's gone. Yeah. Everybody, you know, does has all these problems where they feel like they're lost all the time and can't remember anything and and are really struggling with mundane things and can't and, you know, yeah. feel stupid it's, and depressed. It's and anxious like the, and, the piano man of ADHD skeptics, <laughs> yeah. you know, the free word or something. And, and finally, my wife was like, dude, no, I don't relate to a single thing that you are saying do you really feel that way? You really feel that strongly that this is like a common experience? And I was like, huh? Okay. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so then I, I talked to somebody, I got diagnosed. I didn't believe them. So I went, I was like, really? I was like, you're obviously this person's a hack. And so I, I went and got a second opinion and I got diagnosed again. And I was like, geez, okay. That's crazy. Cause I just, I just like really felt this kind of initially i just felt this defeat in a way like hmm. um like oh like this confirms there's something wrong with me hmm. um this confirms that like it, it it was really hard at first for me to like celebrate <laughs> being neuro- neurodivergent because i had spent kind of my whole life trying to prove to people that i was as smart as them and feeling kind of inadequate and having self-esteem issues and all these things. Oof. And then learning, learning that I, I was different for real, um, really like hit me in a way that wasn't great. And then I, and then I started taking medication and then, and then I had a second like morning of like, dear Lord, is this how, is this what it is like to be normal? Like I took Adderall and I was like, oh god it's like someone went into the my brain settings and and switched everything i was like the toilet is so disgusting like i gotta clean this <laughs> so did you mean, do you mean morning m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g yes uh-huh. like i was grieving 
all of the time that I lost. Uh. And 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 I remember telling my wife, I was like, I now know that I'm actually pretty smart and I can do all of these things that I'm capable of understanding and focusing and interpreting and having conversations with clarity about complicated topics. But literally no one else will know that mm. like everybody has this expectation of me that is so low because of how I've functioned my whole life. Um, and I just felt this like really yeah, like like this grief of like I always I always felt like somehow simultaneously that I was smarter than everybody I knew and the, also the dumbest person. In the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that that hits really close to home. Because I always, I always sort of felt that too. Like throughout high school, I was always like, "I'm the smartest fucking guy ever," but I'm failing all my classes, and I'm like, <laughs> so clearly, even if I'm that smart, I'm pretty stupid to not use it, you know, or something like that. It was, it was always some yeah. mental gymnastics that eventually ended in me thinking I was a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, it, and and it, and you know, it just turns out that like there's a, a a diversity of of intelligences and and skills and like i have a lot of weaknesses like i i have trouble perceiving time i have trouble organizing myself in a in a very like clear way um and and geography and names and numbers like if if i took a history test or somebody asked me like even it's it's a joke that like I live in a town and I couldn't really tell you where all the other towns that I go to all the time are in relation to my town. <laughs> like, that's, like, well, I, that's pretty I, common. That's a lot of people can't do that. Do you, do you have aphantasia by any chance? Can you picture things in your head? Well, I, I, kind of. Well, I'm as an as a visual artist, I can definitely um, picture things in that way and envision them. And I often will do, but I will often rely on, um, tools like Photoshop mm. and, and like, um, and kind of do photo bashing to, to plan out a painting to sort of help because I'll see how I, I'll have a vision of how I want things in my head, but it, it's not clear. It's very hazy. I have to kind of iteratively work it out, which, which turns out to be my learning style and what I've, I didn't, ever feel confident in growing up like um for some reason what always pops in my head first is mowing the lawn hmm. my dad um wanted me to mow the lawn when i was a teenager and he had this very specific way he wanted me to mow the lawn and i would get so nervous and anxious about failing or disappointing him or doing it wrong that i wouldn't be able to i have a I have an incredible working memory, but a terrible long-term memory. Mm. Um, but my working memory doesn't work great when I'm like in fight or flight mode. And so I would do things, I would just would never quite figured it out. And what I've, and he, and then he eventually just was like, okay, like, never mind. <laughs> like, I don't want, I'm not, I don't, I don't think you're going to figure this out. And, and, you know, that kind of pattern of, of things contributed over time to me having super low self-esteem, feeling like I just, couldn't get things that other people could get. I didn't know how to drive from my school to my house because I was always reading in the car and didn't really care. I was like, a GPS will tell me if I need to. Like, I, I, I have other things that are more important that I want to remember. Um, but what I've discovered late, too late in life is that um, failure is 
such an important part of progression. And, um, and I like, even like this, I'm rebuilding my deck right now. I've never built a deck. Um, I've just, I keep finding rot all I had. I was going to just replace some posts and I realized the railings were dangerous. So I, um, took all the railings and, and I learned what a baluster was. And, and I was like, now, now I'm like an expert at the code of our state on how a, (laughs) a deck should be. And, and I refuse to ask anybody to come over and help me do it. Like, huh. like pe- people keep offering like, Hey, I'll, I'll come over and help you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't come over because I need to screw this up a lot. Mm. And if you're there giving me advice or preventing me from making the mistakes, then I won't make those mistakes. And then I won't have an, I won't have internalized the error. Like I, with painting, I, I had to paint so many things badly uh, and learn how long does oil paint need to dry before you can do another layer? How much uh, medium do you need to mix into it before it becomes a transparent gloss? I need to ruin, I need to ruin so many things before um, that those lessons internalized because otherwise, otherwise just watching tutorials and having someone tell me, I just don't pay attention. It just goes in one ear and out the other. So like I've become I've started off as a terrible, terrible carpenter and and ruined so many things. <laughs> and but through all of those mistakes, I have now become like very competent uh, at a lot of different hobbies because I, I know that that's my learning style. I know I, I have to make all the mistakes and find all of the roadblocks that I'm going to face. And then when I'm watching tutorials, I know exactly what information I need because there's so much information out there. But if I know, like, I just can't figure out why my posts are wobbly and I've tried doing this and I've tried doing that and I've tried these screws and I've tried this technique. Now I know, now I have a problem actively that I am trying to solve a very short-term goal. I'm not trying to learn how to build an entire deck. I'm trying Mm. to learn how to do one small baby step. And then I learned, oh, it needs two carriage bolts. And that's not what you have right now. So I go buy those and I put them in and I do it wrong. I'm like, okay, well, why, how, why did that not work? And then I go and find more tutorials. And that's, and that's been a, a style of learning that I think is kind of demonized in our culture. Like if you fail at something, a lot of people will give up. Yeah. Um, and, and like the lawn mowing sit- scenario, like when, when I failed, I was met with disappointment and I was met with kind of like, a, okay, never mind. You're not good at this. We're not going to do this. And so now when, when I'm playing game video games with my kids or, or they do something and they, they they don't quite meet their own expectations. I'm trying so hard to make a point to them. I'm like, it's so cool how hard you're working. And like, and I'm so glad that you you went outside of your comfort zone and like reached out to to try to achieve this thing that you didn't already know. Like, why would you try to learn something that you're good at? You know, yeah. like, doesn't, if you're good at it, you don't need to learn it. So like you are doing something brand new and exciting. And and that's what failure really is. Yeah. Um, and I think too many people turn it into this self-worth uh, conversation internally. Yeah, it's so, almost like it's a measurement. Like I'm measuring my worth with this task. And by failing at it, I have received a measurement that I'm a piece of shit or I'm in, in, invariably bad at this no matter what. Right, exactly. And, and the secret that I've learned through having thousands uh, probably of hyperfocuses at this point is that there, there is almost nothing that you can't learn with enough patience. Um, like I never thought I was smart enough to do 
electronics because I saw something like Ohm's Law and I was like, no, I'm not good at math. <laughs> I can't do this. Um, I started playing chess really aggressively because I because I was like, I've never been good at chess and I know that I'm bad at logic. Like I'm I'm not good at taking the next logical step. I'm not smart enough to plan multiple steps ahead. And and that sort of talk is very limiting and very uh, prophet like uh, uh, what's the the word it's a self-fulfilling prophecy like I can talk all day about how bad I am at logic but the the actual obvious answer when you pull yourself back from these societal norms is well that's where you should be leaning into that you should be leaning into what you perceive as a flaw or a shortcoming because practice is what makes progress and so by learning chess i started to be able to think three or four moves ahead during chess games and i started learning all of these chess openings which then made it easier for me to learn scales on my guitar because mm. i was like wait that's kind of cool the scales of my guitar kind of feel like chess openings all of a sudden because there's a bunch of different patterns that i'm learning on the board and there's a bunch of patterns i'm learning on my fretboard and they are all malleable i can change my guitar scale slightly to to change its mode and i can change my chess opening to uh compensate for what my players do like i'm playing this type of sicilian now instead of that type of sicilian in chess and and then from there i was like well now that i have all of this these new um memory skills and logic skills and and pattern skills why don't i go back and try programming again because last time i tried that i sucked at it and and lo and behold taking a long break from that hobby and tr and learning about learning which i think is really the true hobby that that i have yeah at this point if i'm being honest with myself like what i what i love is learning most of all um when I went back to programming, there were a bunch of shortcomings that I had perceived in myself that no longer felt like shortcomings because I had exercised those muscles. Um, so now it was like, oh, like I, I can actually logically think through how this uh, programming loop might work or how these these different patterns work. And so it's just kind of it's interesting how all these different things um, eventually play into. Sorry, like I hear my son crying and it completely shattered my my thought process well, it's okay do you need to, do you need to go do a son related <laughs> no thing? no my, no my wife is there it's oh. just children have emotions he, he's totally safe and and fine good just... that's well i'm glad i'm glad he feels uh free to express <laughs> his emotions that's important <laughs> yeah i uh, i also think a couple things one about first about video games um per, uh something i always thought was fascinating I, th I started thinking about this when i was around 12 years old playing the video game uh, I think it was Jack Two of the Jack and Daxter series. Oh yeah, excellent yeah. series. Uh, if if anybody's looking to to get into some PS2 games, um, but I was I was trying to fight this boss and I was just getting my shit rocked every time, just getting <laughs> blasted every fucking time. Um, but I kept going back and going back and going back and going back and going back, and eventually I won. Um, and after that, the feeling of of satisfaction after winning and all that was great. But then I kept thinking like. No matter how strong any given boss is in any video game, and no matter how weak any given <clears throat> character is, like whatever character you're playing, no matter how weak they are, the boss is 100% of the time hopelessly outmatched. Hopelessly mm -hmm. outmatched, so long as you keep going back. 
It's like a Dormammu right. situation. Like you can get <laughs> yeah. defeated as many times, but if you just keep coming back, it doesn't matter about sh- the differences in strength and whatever. It's persistence is the main strength. And I always found that fascinating. And so when I see like kids like getting their shit rocked in a video game, but they just keep going back, it's like, you know, you the boss only ever wins if you quit. If you stop playing, right. if you quit playing, then the boss wins. But if you keep going back, you inevitably will win. Have have you ever played Celeste? No, it sounds familiar. I feel like that's been recommended to me before. Maybe it was you. I, would, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's um I think, you know, everybody talks about Elden Ring and Dark Souls and all these games that provide this this challenge similar to what you're saying, but Celeste also kind of thematically integrates that idea into itself. And I I think I cried at the end of that game. Um, so the game is is it, it's a platformer kind of like it's got some Metroidvania elements to it, but it's also it's like if you mix Metroid with Super Meat Boy, it's it's like just a ridiculously painful jumping puzzles that um, you keep gaining abilities and keep being like, oh, my God, now that I have this new ability, the entire thing has changed mm-hmm. and now I can do all these Love things. But that like now. That. Yeah, it's it's this like very simple mechanic, um, very amazingly dialed in physics for the jumping. But the story is also about a person trying to climb a mountain and everybody's telling them this mountain is impossible to climb. You're not going to make it to the top of this. This character is having all of these doubts about their ability to do it. And that's happening concurrently with you dying literally a hundred, two hundred times in a row trying to beat these very, very difficult jumping puzzles. Um, and the further you get into the game, the more the, the main character in the game is sort of I, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but there's there's a whole um, there's like a, uh, a dark version of the main character that eventually becomes a focus of the game and and depression and overcoming obstacles both real and emotional and i mean not to say emotional and mental obstacles aren't real because our life is all just experienced from our brain um but but it's it's a game that that takes that idea of like you have infinite chances to learn how you have it's groundhog day like you can live this day over and over again until you succeed the only way to lose is to stop playing and and it it integrates that into the story and into the character progression within the game in a way that's incredibly satisfying cool. and and very cathartic um and another realization i had that that you made me think of was at one point i was playing like dark souls or and i was losing over and over again and i just had this sudden revelation of like they designed this game to be beaten yeah like like a bunch of designers sat down and they were like, we need to make the game hard. But nobody in that room was like, let's make a game. And, and, and this is impossible. Yeah. Also, like we're going to design <laughs> well, for for context. Hello, dear listener. Um, if you don't know what Dark Souls is, Dark Souls is a, a, a video game series that's been out for a while now, but it is notoriously difficult. It is insanely difficult. There are no difficulty settings. It is just as difficult as it is. And that's the end of it. Um, and the whole game, you're just losing over and over and over and over. And you have to memorize exactly the pattern of like a boss's attacks and know exactly how many times you can cast a certain spell before having to 
drink a potion that you've put in a certain slot so it's accessible. <laughs> Anyways, it's a game that you have to try exceptionally hard in order to beat. Uh, it, it's become synonymous with difficulty yeah, in a way. Like people will be like, oh, this is the Dark Souls of like programming languages. Yeah. Like, oh, this is, the, this is the Dark Souls of mountain biking. Well, what's funny, when like, people use that analogy, when people say, you know, it's the Dark Souls of, I, I don't know, guitar pieces or something like that, I right. one go, okay, so it's really fucking hard. But I also go, oh, but it's doable and immensely rewarding. <laughs> right. And and like, yeah, and that and that's like the whole idea. And that's that's something that I think video games actually taught me growing up was that um, it was sort of this. Um, like I was saying earlier, that failure is part of the process. You can't beat any boss in Dark Souls. I think if we're being honest without losing a few times, you have to see what the next boss stage is going to be. You have to get familiar with the moves and see what unexpected things are going to happen. If you could beat every boss in dark souls, the first try there. And well, yeah, that too, it would not be a fun game. Um, And I think that's something people miss out on too, is like difficulty is actually sometimes the most, uh, an amazing part of our experience oh, yeah. in life. Like there are a lot of things where I'm it's when things get easy, I'm, I'm, I, I abandon them yeah. because, because there's, there's this inherent conflict that I think everybody craves in, in, in the world. And, and if you're not, because I mean like all, every story, every movie, every book you read, the whole point of that is, there's a conflict right. and there's somebody growing and facing a challenge and overcoming it. And as soon as you're, I, I don't know if I've just read too many books or watched too many movies, but as soon as I find my happy ending with a hobby or a video game, like I was, I got obsessed with call of duty recently out of nowhere. Cause I've always hated that culture and that game. But then I was like, wow, I can't stop playing this. And I like, I like beating these people online that I am, am facing. And then as soon as I unlocked all the guns that I wanted to, I was like, I have no ambition to play this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've achieved everything I wanted to and not moving on. I know what you mean. Um, well, I and that's uh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, what I wanted to ask you, you, you brought up a couple of times, which I love just about the importance of failure and failure practice, as I sometimes call it. Um, you know, like in, in, in Elden Ring, which is one of is a Dark Souls game. Dear listener. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of times when I go into a new boss, like I know there's a big boss area because they give me a bunch of health and shit before. And you're like, oh, shit, it's about to be a, a big bad. <laughs> Um, the first 10, easily 10 or so a- attempts at the bus, I intend to fail. Like, I mm-hmm. don't even try to win. I just see what happens. All right, what happens if I just stand here and don't move? So, like, the default move set of this boss, what do they do? Like, okay, then I die. Then I go back and I go, okay, what happens if I maintain a constant distance from the boss? What if I just try to stay as far? Oh, okay, they don't do as much, and then they do this move followed by this move. And if I'm at this distance away, when that second move happens, they'll do this third move. Okay. And then I die again. And then you go, okay, what happens? And so the first, however many times failure is the goal. (laughs) I'm just trying to gain information. And And I often try to, I often, uh, you know, say as advice, but I, and I try to live by it. um, When intending to do something scary that I know I'm not particularly good at. um, Sometimes I, I deliberately set out to do a bad job. Like if I have to clean a room, or do dishes or mm-hmm. set them up like I'm just going to do a shitty version of it, because even if I do a shitty version of it, one is better than doing no version of it. And two, yeah. I get to know what doesn't work about it. 
like in the in the culinary world i I was a cook for eight plus years um the culinary world was all about doing things right the first time and only ever doing them correctly which is fine it's you know it makes sense because you have to sell the food but i always wanted to see what happened if it was fucked up so a chef would say you have to do this this way and i'm like okay what happens if it doesn't and i would get some form of it doesn't work or you just don't or something. But why? But why? I need to know why. And so I would, if, if, you know, if the boss was ever not looking and I sort of had the time <laughs> and whatever, I would just like deliberately fuck something up. And then I would go, oh, OK, that's why. So now I'm yep. not just like doing this thing because it's gospel. I know what I'm trying to get to not happen. So if I clear my desk off in a shitty way, one, it's clearer than it was before. But I also get right. to notice, oh, this doesn't work because my pens are out of reach or this doesn't work because the garbage can is too far away. It's all information gained, and it's difficult to apply that kind of thinking, you know, take it from video games or take it from like keeping your desk clean and then applying it to emotional skills that you might not have or emotional literacies that you might not have. So I was curious of asking you, um, are there any instances in your life where you find it notably difficult to take that failure practice mentality and apply it? I mean... Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> I mean, like, there's there's no way to be when I, I don't I have not found a way to 100 percent be comfortable with failure. Um, no, I, I think it is discomfort. So, and I think that's necessary because, you yeah. know, ultimately, the I mean, well, the goal is to not if, to not fail at some point, I suppose. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but I get your point. Well, I think I think what it is, I think you you said it perfectly in that you built you need to build it in as part of your process. So like it took me forever to figure this part out because I, I eventually internalized the idea that failure was important. But then I would still come upstairs from the basement after a day of painting and be like, Kate, fucked up a painting. I can't paint phases. I'm never doing this again. I'm a failure. I suck at life and I should never have tried. And you know what? The universe is going to implode anyway. And all this will be burned and everybody who ever remembers me will be dead. So like, why even bother trying to do anything at all? And she'd be like, you know, is art fun for you? Like, should you maybe stop doing it? Is this a healthy thing? And like, I would go in these spirals. But then what I eventually figured out by watching people, um, you know, I was I was hitting these blocks and I was, I was like, I am definitely the only person who's ever tried to paint something and had not work out like uh, anybody who's good at painting will paint something. and It'll just be perfect. Right. But then what you find out is that. Painters do the same thing you are doing in Dark Souls. They sit down and they take the biggest paintbrush they've got and they paint the face in the most basic, stupid way possible with the biggest strokes and the fewest colors that they can. And it looks like a, a blocky, blurry blob. And and they're like, now I can fix it. Like the important part here is to now fix it and refine it, because before I had a blank canvas and if I had made the perfect eye and then made another perfect eye, they might not be perfect in relation to each other. They'd be two perfect eyes pointing in different directions and it would make a terrible painting. <laughs> but now that everything's simple, I don't have to undo any any effort that I put in. I can just fix things forever until they are perfect the way that I want them. And 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 that is the cross training that I think you benefit from learning many different hobbies when you are writing a novel. If your if your goal is to do like what Kurt Vonnegut claims to do, which is to just 
write a page until it's perfect and then go to bed and just like finish your book and it's done or like Stephen King would just be like done <laughs> like you, you're what most authors do is they write a terrible book as their first draft they write a terrible terrible book and then they put it away and then they come back in six months and they read it as if it's a brand new book that they've never read before and then they say wow this is a shitty book and then they think about it and they're like why is it shitty what would I change if this wasn't my book and I was just somebody who wanted to enjoy this book? Oh, like there's a there's no con the conflict isn't personal enough. And the 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 character needs to have a, a bigger uh, conflict to overcome and their character arc sucks. Then they rewrite the whole thing and then they send it to an editor and the editor is like, no, this book still sucks. You need to fix it again. And then they make all those notes and it becomes this whole collaborative process. And when you video edit um, you do a whole scratch edit. You you record your own VO, um, even though a professional will come in and read it later. And you do what's called an assembly edit, where you just take the cuts from B-roll that you think are kind of cool and some of the shots from the commercial that seem kind of nice. And you put a few assembly cuts together. And then you, the creative director and producers come in. They say, these are terrible. This is not at all what I imagined. Like I, when I was on set, I thought this was the best take. And and you have to learn to not take that personally because you are there to fail so that you can then iterate and improve. Yeah. And if and if you just stopped at that first part, you would be you would be missing out on what is an essential part of the creative process. Like and that's why I think like um when people get too much creative control, that's when a lot of the quality of their creative work drops because you definitely need a lot of people to come in and be like, no, 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 you, you have failed. And then you need to be able to internalize that and be like, great. So how do I, you need to be able, you need to be knowledgeable enough to say, what does this feedback mean? Cause when people tell you that you failed or that something's wrong, they're not always right. And sometimes they don't even, know what is wrong they they might try to be prescriptive and tell you like what you should change and that might not be it you're just you just know that you're not if you're not having the impact that you want to have with your art or your video or your novel or whatever yeah, i think it's it's um, a lot about sort of collecting data and data points every every experience and thing that happens is a data point whether it was pleasant or unpleasant at the time so like w w right. whenever i make something creative whether it's a video or a thing i built or anything um, and you know, you're a TikToker, so you know what it's like to get a comment that goes like, this is dumb. <laughs> fuck you. I hate you. Um, like that's like my whole life yeah, right now right? on TikTok. Um, <laughs> for me, I, I always say that like all criticism is useful, but not all criticism is valid. Is that, or was yes. it the other way around? But like, so if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, somebody who doesn't know anything about what I'm trying to do and says that sucks for X, Y, and Z reason. Yeah, I don't have to give a shit and I don't have to change it, but I do now have the data point that, oh, this person doesn't like the thing. So if I'm looking, if I'm trying to make something that's going to please this person or people like this person, then that might be necessary for me to know. Um, but it's all about trying to take it as data points. And I think yeah. the hardest times to do that, you know, get practicing taking notes on stuff and, and creative pursuits. And I consider life a creative pursuit. So let's go ahead and include that. Um, <laughs> taking other people's advice and or, or hearing other people's advice and deciding whether to tell them to go fuck themselves or not, or take the note because they know what they're talking about. You know, that 
at least has this hard line of being external. Something outside of me and my brain has said this thing or given me this feedback about this thing. When it gets much fucking harder, um, I think, is when it's you. When you yeah. are the one giving yourself feedback and you're like, is this a moment when I need to tell myself to go fuck myself? You know, am I being too hard <laughs> on myself? Am I being too nice, like light yeah. on myself? Am I being too forgiving of myself? Did I really fuck that up? Or am I just socialized to believe that I fucked that up? Then it gets much fucking blurrier and much fucking harder. Well, I think, I think when you can accept that failure and feedback are part of the creative journey to a destination, and you can stop taking it personally, which, and I'm saying those steps as if they're like an easy one, two thing, but it's taken me my entire life to, you know, go to a meeting with other creatives and have them tear my work apart and not leave feeling like I'm a piece of dog shit. Um, but like when, once you stop doing that, then it just becomes about, well, who is my audience? Mm. Who am I actually trying to speak to? Because if these people don't like it, who cares? And what am I getting out of the creation of this intrinsically? Because what I, what I had to discover with TikTok was what I did discover through TikTok, because I never intended to be a TikTok creator. I actually went on TikTok initially to vent about my ADHD experiences because nobody there I didn't know anybody there. I knew a lot of people on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. I had zero friends, zero followers. And everybody I ever talked to was like, it's just for people who are children and they like to dance. And I was like, great. So if I go on and TikTok and talk about ADHD, like it's fine. And then and then things went viral. And then my mom texted me and was like, wait, you have ADHD. And I was like, shit. Um, it's a big moment. Like, <laughs> what I did, what I learned through that was that the more authentic and risky and vulnerable and um and batshit i was on tiktok the more i the every time i posted a video where i would say literally nobody will relate to this and i'm the only person who probably feels this way those are always the videos that ended up like blowing up or or going off and that kind of was the first time i ever felt like i had a tribe or an audience that wasn't and it wasn't an audience that I was begging to be with me. Where I was like, come on, cool kids, like accept me in your popular club. Like it was like, oh, my God, like the more me that I that I share, the more acceptance I'm getting. Mm. And and then I had to carefully think about, am I just falling into the trap again of getting extrinsic value from people pleasing? Am I just performing like a monkey and getting likes and meow meow beans and feeling really good uh, because other people tell me I'm good? Or am I expressing something authentic about myself and feeling a sense of belonging? Oh, well, for one, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Sure, but you can definitely I think there's a trap that that you can. You can try too hard to be performative mm, yeah. and fit what other people want or, or try to predict what other people want and give them what you think they want rather than risking your own self-expression. Like I, I think it, they're not mutually exclusive, but, but there is sort of um, it's important in the genesis of an idea. I think if you're starting off trying mm. to appeal to everyone, you will probably end up with something that's a little bit, 
mundane or muted. Mm. But but like my favorite one of my go to examples is like ridiculous movies like The Room by Tommy Wiseau. Mm. I I will argue to the end of my days that that movie, whether it is critically acclaimed as a good film or not, it has such a point of view. It is such a distilled version of someone's perception of reality that I find it so fascinating and can't look mm-hmm. away. Like the original Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that movie is batshit. <laughs> you rewatch that movie, you're like, this doesn't make any sense, and it's crazy, and they shouldn't have made this. But it's also really good. And then they then they remade it for the masses with the uh, the the intention of like, well, we're gonna make this something that everybody will enjoy, and nobody liked mm-hmm. it. So like, one guy made this crazy, insane thing, and everybody was like, this is cool, and it became a cult uh, classic. And then somebody said. Let's remake this, but for everyone. And then when you make it for everybody, it's for nobody at the same time. And so I don't remember what my original point was, but. Oh. No, I don't remember what my original (laughs) point was. (laughs) Dare greatly. Dare greatly. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think I think that what I was trying to say was I had to be. I've learned that the. um, The more you can just. The more the, when you find your audience. Well, oh, that was what I was getting to. So I've got this hat. Um, if you go on my TikTok channel, you'll actually see the hat that yes. I'm wearing. But it's a hat that I basically I painted all my favorite things. Yeah, that's on awesome. it you got a, with, what was um, it, a Mario star, it looks like. Yeah, it, it used to just be a blank hat with a white star on it. It looked almost like a Dallas Cowboys hat. Huh. And that's um, awesome. it's just got all, it's just got all these things on adventure time going uh, on up there. Yeah. Nice. Pokemon, like all sorts of stuff. And um and and I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I will go out in public wearing this crazy hat that I've drawn all of my passions on. And some people will give me kind of side eye and be like, hey, this guy's a weirdo because <laughs> I'm wearing this crazy hat. And then some people will come up to me and be like, this is the coolest hat I've ever seen. You are the coolest person I've ever met. Did you draw all this stuff? Tell me all about how you right. did that. How did you get so good at drawing? And, and then I get really socially awkward and, and like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And then I leave and run away. But what, but what that tells me, I, I could take that two ways. I could be like, the people giving me side eye are telling me that I'm not doing something socially acceptable and I should change myself to fit in better. But what I like to think is, it's a forcible way of finding my tribe really fast. Yeah. The people giving me side eye are probably not people I'm going to get along with. And they're telling me right away. They're just telling me right away. Like, no, I don't like any of that stuff. And I think you're weird. And that's good. Fine. I don't want to people please you. I don't want to be part of your tribe. We're, we're good. I don't need to. I don't need you to it like saves a lot of time, frankly. It saves really so does. much time. And, and now when I meet people who like my hat, I'm like, can we be friends? Can, can, give me your phone <laughs> exactly. number. Let's hang out. Like, let's do this. Well, yeah, like, I mean, I think that's like, why it. You know, people can live their lives however they want insofar that they're not hurting anybody else. Um, But I I do think being as vividly and unapologetically yourself as possible is just the way to do it. You know, you might make less friends because a lot of the people (laughs) who, you know, liked you a little bit until they found out you're weird and then ended up being whatever. But the friends you do make are going to be the fucking shit. They're going to like you for precisely who you are. And I think that's really valuable. And yeah, I spent way too much of my life 
trying to do the wrong yeah. thing and trying and like we're just wishing like oh why how come these people don't like me i should i should do everything i can to make them right. really like me i should i should start learning football and like maybe i'll i'll I, I remember like i even was i was a vegetarian but i was still like dad maybe i'll go hunting with you <laughs> and, and i think he was like that's that's bullshit like no don't go hunting with me like you're not gonna like it and i was like but but i want to have more in common with you and like it just doesn't work like you you have to be yourself and ultimately like that leads you to the better relationship when people see you shine because you're genuinely enjoying yourself and genuinely um you know making the world better because every i think everybody has that potential to just give something awesome to the oh, yeah. world i think, I think um, be yourself be uh sorry what was the second one uh be yourself be don't do drugs don't do drugs that's right <laughs> <laughs> stop drop and roll be yourself don't do drugs stop drop and roll um <laughs> oh, oh i had a whole i had a cool thing i was gonna sound so fucking smart oh damn it sorry no sorry. oh no no Just it was me up. i interrupted myself uh, something happened in my brain uh, it was a uh, uh uh oh be persistent be patient um and be yourself I think right. be persistent just keep going keep going keep rolling the dice every day i know you get a bunch of shitty rolls in a row sometimes but you might get some good ones be yourself and uh and be patient sometimes it takes a while but yeah so to answer your question that's how i got diagnosed oh, with cool. ADHD. Right on. wow wow that's <laughs> all started with my dad's balls and it ended up with <laughs> dark souls i guess um but uh yeah. we do have to go we're we're profoundly over time but it has been lovely um, but I did want, we, I always ask one, there's a question I always ask all of our guests, um, that Katie thinks is dumb, but I love it. So I'm going to keep doing it. Okay. Um, but I have one question for you, my friend, if you could wave a magic wand and all of a sudden be able to speak every language in the world fluently, or be able to play every instrument in the world masterfully, which would you choose? Oh, I think music for music. sure. I don't I don't like to talk to people that much. <laughs> I mean, I like to talk to certain people um, when I when I find people who are cool like you, I obviously can talk for hours uh, nonstop. But most of the time, I just want to be in my basement fiddling with things. And if I could play guitar masterfully or play instruments masterfully, you'd probably never see me again. Mm. I'd probably just be in my garage forever huh. recording cool stuff. Well, it doesn't make you immortal. Um, you would still be there for the duration of a human life. You don't know that learning how to play instruments masterfully wouldn't eventually lead that's, to some version of immortality. That's true. Yeah, maybe it's like Infinity Stones or something like that. You, if you play the fiddle long enough, the devil will challenge you to a duel, and then you can win immortality and live forever. <laughs> and then, I mean, it, it's so obvious to me. That's what, true. And then. And then I can learn language, every language yeah, I want yeah. for the rest I'm of imagining eternity. If, if, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a universe where learning every instrument masterfully leads to immortality, I'm imagining like so, you know, some protagonist is out there and they've collected every single one <laughs> except for like the tambourine. And like all of a sudden it's their final tambourine <laughs> lesson and they go diddly ding. And then all of a sudden like the sky opens up and like there's electricity <laughs> and they're like, and there's some tambourine instructor like, what the fuck just happened? Yep. They had no idea what they just witnessed. 
I'm pretty sure I just gave you the best answer you've ever gotten that was to that a pretty question. Good one. That was a pretty good one. I learned all of the instruments and all the languages, and I'm immortal <laughs> That's now. True. So. That's true. When, when, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite answers was not to like name drop or word, but we had Ben Brainerd on a year mm. and a little bit ago, and we asked him that question, um, and he said language. And at some point, I was being kind of snooty, and I was like, "Well, come on, man! Like, l- music is the universal language." He's like, "No, Eric." literal universal language is the universal language like i was was like putting it up against literal Uh, universal language i was like okay wait though are you including programming languages and i suppose i do and like mathematical language like math is sort of the language like the actual fundamental language over the universe because it's physics i suppose that's true but i mean then you could also say that like is music theory language and if you're going to say that math is language or programming then i would also argue that music theory is a language Oh, in no. which case you would have. So if I had chosen languages, I would have also had control of physics well, and well, math. We're and also time sort of like space and music, make, you know, identifying a line here between the ability to think and understand in a language versus the ability to speak it. Because if you, you if you spoke fluent music theory, you would still have to mm. have the physical dexterity to realize the, that theory <laughs> through the instruments. So you could also <laughs> so saying, theoretically could... <laughs> know all the languages, but not be able to pronounce shit. You know, maybe that's the monkey's paw of the whole situation. Okay. Yeah, now this sounds like a curse. Like, I can, I know what I want to say, but I have, like, uh, like, locked what's, in what syndrome or something. Tra- like, locked yeah. in syndrome. <laughs> like, like, I could talk to this turtle, but I can't make this the turtles. <laughs> I could, I could communicate with whales, but I can't make the frequencies necessary underwater. God, oh. we just got wild. And, shout out to the wild thornberries. Um, well, I'm reading. I'm reading the Animorphs oh, right sweet. now, uh, obsessively, and and that, that's I all I can really think I about. I just did like the little flippy <gasps> book pages where they turn into the guy. What what what's up? Okay, I know that I'm. A no, way it's over fine. Time. I, this is my last thing today. You're you're good. I just didn't want to take up your time. I I just I anytime I can evangelize the Animorphs to anybody, I I have to because they really freaked me out when I was a kid. Everybody thinks that they're these goofy books, but they literally are the most intense action books that a 10 year old could read. Um, All the characters have PTSD by like book five. Like they are having psychological traumatic things occur. I I was re I was reading the third one to my daughter who's like seven and I had to start editing what I was saying out loud because spoilers, one of the characters gets trapped as a hawk forever and they start trigger warning basically expressing ideation wow um of ending things because they um are trapped as a hawk for and they still think in like human language right and but but when you transform as an animal in these books part of the animal brain is there so like when you transform as a as a bird or something there's there's an animal brain that you can let take over to help you learn to fly and like have all the instincts of the animal which is like a a, a, a twenty a catch twenty two because like if you become an ant you could immediately get consolidated into the hierarchy of a social insect right. um, world or um, if you become a wolf you might have like some hierarchical issues with a, an opposing wolf pack and and so he's like trying desperately to to not eat mice Whoa. and and he's like he's like I'm a hawk forever. I'm no longer technically a human, so should I be fighting aliens to protect humanity? Because 
I'm not human and I'm not an anamorph because I can't morph anymore. I'm just a hawk. And like, should I eat mice or will that turn me into a full hawk? Will I lose all of what's left of my humanity? And then he has a mental breakdown and tries to fly into a glass window. And I'm like, hey, seven year old daughter. Is this okay? Wow. <laughs> like, are you enjoying this book? Like, they get so crazy. That's book three, wow. and there's 50 of them. Jesus. And they they get I mean, it's been, you know, however many years since I've read an Animar book. But I also remember it has, it also touches a lot on sort of otherness, doesn't it? Like, I remember there would be like aliens that would come down that were like vilified, but through like learning, they like learn, like, oh shit, like this guy's just trying to get home, or like this guy's, you know, something yeah. like that. I think the coolest thing I learned from those books reading them as I grew up was one that um, adventures are not good. Like, you know, you read all these adventure fantasy books and you're like, I wish something cool would happen to me. And then you read the Animorphs and it's like, oh God, like they're trying to hold their intestines into their gorilla bodies while like running for their lives. And they've achieved almost nothing. And like, this is terrible. And then, and then by like the middle of the series, they blur the lines very hard like everything is kind of black and white at the beginning like the yurks are bad and they're taking over humanity and the animorphs are good they have to stop them but it doesn't pull back from this idea of like most of their enemies are slaves being mind controlled by brain slugs and so every person that they kill or hurt or injure is also a non-consensual bystander of this war and so if you are trying to escape with your life from this alien base and you have to make a choice between being captured and infested and having all of your friends identities revealed as a brain slug takes over your body or you have to kill a bunch of innocent bystanders that are being controlled by these aliens like what is the moral uh it's it's basically the tram problem over and over and over again, every book until the characters are basically all completely shattered as, and they're child soldiers in an intergalactic war. But, but like everybody sees them and they're like, Oh cool. They can transform into animals. (laughs) The covers are weird. And I'm like, no, they're like the most cool books ever, man. You gotta read them. Uh, And, and that's my, that's my pitch. They'll make you super depressed and you'll be like, why were these written for 10 year olds? But also sometimes they're stupid. uh and the, the famous right. book series Animorphs by Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he wrote The Road and then really, and he ghostwrote the Animorphs. <laughs> he the, uh, <laughs> the poor ghostwriter is just like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I was always wondering why there were no like capital letters or punctuation. It's just really weird choice for a young adult um, novel. Well, Tim, um, thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Are you, can you... Thank you for having me. Do you want to do a plug? Where, where can people find you, my friend? Um, I'm on TikTok at Tim Ahern Art. Um, sometimes I'm on Instagram. I was, this was all supposed to be about my art. I used to, I, 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 did, I do art sometimes. Uh, now I just like, now I just ramble about Animorphs. Um, and and <laughs> so, so look for me there. And, uh, and yeah, I hope, I hope Katie feels better. Um, me too. I'm sorry. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me on, but also double edged sword. I hope Katie feels better That's, soon. Well, yes, of course. Thank you for being on. She's I, I, I don't mean to benefit from her, her <laughs> misfortune, but <laughs> this is when, like, as soon as the Zoom call ends, like you like screw a flask like of poison or something like that. Put it on your 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 like shelf with a bunch of poisons labeled like Katiosaurus. Hey, goo. Everything has gone as I have yes. foreseen. Cusco's poison.
Um, <laughs> all right, Tim, thank you so much for being here, and uh, I'll talk to thank you later. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again to Tim Ahern for being here on such short notice and being such a lovely person. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please do go follow him on all of his stuff. Again, that's T-I-M underscore A-H-E-R-N underscore art on TikTok. He makes fantastic content. He's building robots. He's building decks. It's a good time. Um, anyways, thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Oh, also, did you know that we have a Patreon? It's patreon.com slash infinite quest. So if you'd like to help support the podcast, uh, it would mean the world to me if you thought of going by. Oh, oh, we got a ukulele coming on up over by. I'm so we're going <coughs> to do the Patreon song. We're going to do the Patreon song? Okay. Patreon song, please give us money so we can make a podcast. I'm so sick. I'm going back to bed. That was a mood. That was a goddamn anthem, Katie. <laughs> I, almost, I almost burned our house down. With, with the lighter that I was furiously waving in the air. I didn't. Please don't light a lighter to, uh, to that song, although you will likely feel the urge. Anyways, thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.